My name is Dale Wine. I'm the Connections Pastor. Most of you know me, but maybe some watching online may not. I hope you had a good Christmas. I know I certainly did. My son, Nate, and his wife, Amy, were here at the Christmas Eve service, and then we joined my wife, Linda, and sister-in-law at our house for a great Christmas Eve time, great meal, and exchanging gifts. Speaking of the Christmas Eve service here at 5 o'clock, it was awesome. And then the Christmas Eve event following was great. We <clears throat> kind of outgrew the children's clubhouse and had to go into the gym, and you're going to hear more about that in just a little bit. Well, here we are on the last Sunday of 2018. Two days, and then we're going to turn the calendar to 2019. New Year's parties, the ball dropping, Times Square, you know, New Year's resolutions, thinking back on last year and looking forward to the new year. Those are all things that we're kind of engaged at. Around my uh, house, it'll be lots of college bowl games on New Year's Day. That will be good. Hope the Buckeyes can win. Thank you. I heard that amen from, from Ralph there. So I knew that uh, I was going to be preaching on this particular Sunday way back in May is when I received this assignment. And so I've just been praying and asking Jesus, what is it that you want to say to the folks who are here today? And I'm very excited. I've really sensed that I've uh, been able to discern what the Lord wants me to share with you. And so I want to lead off with a question. As you think about 2019, what would you like to see happen in your life? What are your goals? What are your aspirations for 2019? I know that this is a family Sunday, and so our kids are here with us. And so I thought it might be good uh, to just sort of circle up as a family or in small groups and just try to answer that question a little bit. So I'm just going to sort of turn you loose, mom and dad, if your kids are there. Just huddle up with your kids, or if you just want to find three or four people around you, and answer this question, what are your thoughts, your goals, your aspirations for 2019? And then I'll just come back here in about a minute, okay? Go ahead and work on that. Okay, great. So I know for some, the New Year's holiday is an excuse to drink too much. They're not really thinking about uh, improving their life or growing. They're more interested in just escaping into alcohol or the drug of their choice, sadly. Others might say that their goals are just to survive just to stay afloat, just to keep their head above water so they can pay the bills and hope that the car doesn't break down or the furnace doesn't break, which would do them in. 
Maybe others would say their goal is just to do the best they can to keep from being bored, to fill their lives with entertainments like sports and movies and TV and social media and video games and shopping, whatever. Some people would say their goals are about being a good person. They want to be a good person in 2019. They want to attend church regularly maybe or you know, show up to work, be a good employee, be good to their families. So I don't know what your answer was to the question, but as we think about that question, I want God to speak to us through his word. And we're going to look at the example of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3. Most of you know, but in case some of you here don't know, the Apostle Paul was a very prominent Jew. He was really an enemy of the church until God very miraculously sort of knocked him literally off his feet and he was converted and he ended up becoming the greatest missionary in the church. It's appropriate to look at this passage, I think, because really what Paul is doing is he's sharing with us his goals and his aspirations for the future. So uh, we're going to start at verse 10, but just before we uh, read together, I want to sort of summarize what's happened to that point. Paul starts off the chapter by challenging us to rejoice in the Lord, and then he warns the people of the church there at Philippi to avoid certain religious folks who oppose him and who are teaching false doctrines. And then in verses 4 through 6, Paul kind of lists his uh, religious accomplishments, I think in order to build a case for himself that they should follow him and avoid these others. And then in verse 7, he kind of flips the switch and he says, but truthfully, I could care less about all of those religious accomplishments. He says, all of that to me is like cow manure. I mean, literally, verse 8, the translation is cow manure. That is useless, rubbish to me compared to to knowing Christ. So let's pick it up at verse 10. And just let God speak to us through his word. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I want us just to look at each one of those four phrases. It's a powerful prayer. He says, I want to know Christ. Notice that he doesn't say, I want to know about Christ. Because there's a big difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone, right? Paul didn't say, I want to learn about Jesus' travels and where he went and what he taught. No, he said, I want to have a personal, deep, intimate relationship with Jesus where he speaks to me where I feel his love, where I allow his love to flow through me to others. I think it's easy for us to miss this because I think we value knowledge, and knowledge is good. It's good to know about Jesus. It's good to know the Bible, but that doesn't compare to knowing Jesus, to experiencing that 
relationship with him. So he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. The power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead is available to us. And Paul is saying, I want to live in that power. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And then he says, and participation in his sufferings. You know, I think something very deep happens when you suffer together with someone. There is a real bond that happens. My dad was a staff sergeant in World War II in the Army, and he and his Army buddies experienced some horrible things. My dad was shot twice and received two Purple Heart medals as a result of that. After the war, those relationships with his army buddies were so important to him that he got together with them every year until they could no longer travel. Why was that so important to him? You know, I think, I think it was about the fact that they suffered together. They went through life and death experiences together and came out on the other end as a team. Paul is saying, I want to participate with Christ, to share, to fellowship with Christ through suffering. I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death is the fourth phrase there. What does that mean? To become like Jesus in his death? Well, I think the, the best clue that we have is in Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane just before he's crucified. Do you remember that prayer? He said, Father, I really don't want to have to do this. Is there a plan B? But eventually he came to that point of surrender where he said, this is not about me. It's not about what I want. It's about you and what you want, Father. And so if that's what I need to do, I'm willing to do it. See, Paul is saying, I, I want to have that same kind of surrender that Jesus had when he went to the cross. I want to say, God, whatever it is that you want, it's not about me and what I want. It's about you and what you want. Wow, what a prayer. I want to pray that prayer in 2019. I want to live in that prayer. God, I want to know you better and better in 2019. I want to live in your power. I want to be surrendered to you and your purposes for me, even if that involves suffering. Let's look at verse 12. The text says, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal. You see, Paul understands that he's on a journey it's a process. He hasn't arrived yet. But look at what he says. Go on to the next scripture, and I'll, that will let me read the whole thing, if you could. Birgit, thank you. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. 
Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to take hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Just notice the intensity of that language. Look at those words in that passage. Paul says, press on, take hold of. One thing I do, straining, and then press on. Again, do you see those words? Do you see what he's doing? This is, this is not about some leisurely stroll on a sunny Sunday afternoon in the park. This is fourth and goal on the two-yard line, and nobody is going to stop me from getting into the end zone. It's that kind of language. That's where Paul is coming from. I'm going to do this. Nobody is going to stop me from doing this. Do you, do you sense that in him? And I think we would do well to have that same level of focus and commitment that we see in that verse. We read verse 14. I want to just talk about that again to see the goal that Paul has. Can we look at that one? He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So Paul has this goal, and the goal is to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. Paul is kind of restating what we saw in verse 10. He's saying, I want to live my life to know Jesus better and better. And I want to fulfill the call that he has given to me. And I want to finish well so that I can cross that finish line. So that I can get that prize. And so that when I breathe my last, I'll be with Jesus forever. Let's keep going. Look at verse 15. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. A really powerful truth in this verse. It's a little subtle, but as I studied and thought about this verse, the Holy Spirit spoke to me in ways that were very helpful for me. And I want to share that with you. What's happening? Basically, what's going on is that there are some people who think differently than Paul, people who might be kind of at odds with him, who might take exception to his leadership. Remember earlier, he was warning people to avoid certain folks that were opposing Paul. So how does Paul deal with this conflict potentially? What does he say? What does he do? He just says, if you think differently, God will make it clear to you. In other words, he just entrusts them to God. Now, I may be the only one here, but it's confession time for me. I spend way too much time and energy thinking about how I can please other people. 
wondering whether they will agree with what I say or do. Paul just doesn't go there, does he? He has one thing that he's concerned about, one thing only, and that is pleasing Jesus. And he doesn't really seem to care about what anybody else thinks. Wow, isn't that a, isn't that a stress-relieving way to live your life? Let me look at one other verse. It's verse 17. He says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So here in this verse, Paul's really talking about his understanding of his call. He understands. His mission is clear. He is to set an example of knowing and following Jesus. And then to invite others to follow him as he is following Jesus. Right? That's what he's saying. He's saying, you know, follow my example. Follow the example of the people that I have discipled. He's really talking about the Great Commission. That's his call. And what is the Great Commission? What is the Great Commission? Somebody tell me. To make disciples. Thank you. Yes. To make disciples. He says it even more clearly in his letter to young Timothy, his disciple. 2 Timothy 2. Look at this. He says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So Paul is saying, Timothy, you know how I have invested in you. Now, you invest in someone else just like I have invested in you, and you teach them that their job is to invest in someone else, and on and on it goes. So let's review the passage. Paul has quite a resume, but he doesn't care about any of that. What he cares about is knowing Jesus growing deeper and deeper in that relationship and following Jesus, living out what Jesus has asked him to do, which means inviting others to follow him as he follows Jesus. Paul is passionately committed to living out that call. Paul is not bored. When Paul looks toward his future, his goal is not to just avoid being bored. Paul is not interested in just surviving. Paul is not just trying to be a good person. Paul understands the value of his life, the importance of his calling. His life has meaning and significance and fulfillment. And here's the good news for us today. We have that same call. Jesus invites us into that same relationship. 
where we can know him more and more intimately. Where we can have the goal to win the prize for which God has called us heavenward. Which means to follow Jesus. To be an instrument of his love and then to invite other people to come and follow us as we are following Jesus. And then to teach them that part of following Jesus is to obey Jesus. And one of the things we will obey is to make disciples, which means we will teach them that they are to invest in some other people. And the kingdom of God gets built. That's our call, friends. It's my call. It's your call. And this living out the Great Commission starts with our families. Parents, the most important thing you can do in 2019 is to disciple your kids. You may say, I'm not sure what that looks like. I agree, it sounds like a great idea. I'm not sure how to do that. I would be happy to talk with you about it. Or I'll point you to a resource. The guy that discipled me, Hal Perkins, he and his wife, Debbie, have written a book about this. It's called, If Jesus Were a Parent. And you can get that book, and it's a great book to just help you understand how to disciple your children. Well, that's my calling to be an authentic disciple of Jesus, to make disciples of Jesus, and then to coach disciple makers of Jesus. And the awesome thing is you pay my salary to do that. Sorry, you're not going to get a salary for doing it, most of you. But it is your call. One of the people that I've been blessed to disciple over the last few years is Linda Romer. Many of you know Linda, but uh, maybe some of you don't know her story. So I'm just going to share with you her story. Then I'm going to have her come up and talk to us as we kind of close things out here. Linda got a rough start as a child. Her mother could not care for her and her brother. And so at age six, she was placed in a foster home where she was abused physically and emotionally. She was adopted at age seven, but things didn't get any better. She still suffered physical, emotional, psychological abuse all the way till college. During those years, Linda had this this feeling that she just wasn't good enough. And so she tried very hard to please other people and felt like she never was successful in that. Her depression reached a point at age 19 where she tried to take her life. She was in a coma. And she shared with me after she came out of that coma in the weeks and months to follow that she began to feel a a glimmer of hope in her life. And part of that was understanding that all the things that had been done to her were not her fault. That she was not responsible for those things. She had nothing to do with those things. 
Linda's spiritual journey started at age nine. As a nine-year-old girl, she went to the altar in a Baptist church. Unfortunately, nobody really helped her understand what it means to live out that relationship. Nobody discipled Linda. So it wasn't until her 40s that she really reconnected with Jesus in a meaningful way. And the catalyst of that was she had a friend who had a brain tumor. And she began to pray intensely for that friend. And God showed up in a powerful way. And she began to grow in Christ. She came here, attended this church about 10 years ago. First short time, and then she had to go back to Indiana to care for her father. She moved back here about eight years ago, and that's when I had the chance to meet Linda. She was, uh, went through my next step class, which many of you have done. And I saw Linda's heart for the Lord immediately, and I invited her to consider being one of the leaders of the new Celebrate Recovery Ministry, which we were getting ready to launch. So as I met with that team of leaders weekly, I just watched her roots grow deep in Jesus. She actually led that ministry for a period of time until she's now handed off the leadership of that to some people she has trained. I loved those one-on-one meetings that I have with Linda where we just try to listen to what Jesus is saying, talk about what it looks like to obey him. One of the key things that happened, I think, was uh, five years ago after Thanksgiving in one of those one-on-one meetings, Linda said, you know, the Lord spoke to me and I really feel like I need to obey. She said, I want us to find some families that can't afford to give gifts at Christmas time to their kids. And I want us to adopt them, and I want us to invite them to, to the Christmas Eve service and then serve them a, a nice dinner and then give them gifts that they can take home to their families. And that way their kids can have gifts at Christmas. Linda said, I think the reason the Lord is talking to me is I know what it feels like to not get any gifts at Christmas. I said, that sounds like Jesus to me, Linda. And so she just started working on it. That was five years ago. And now we have this huge Christmas Eve event. And I'm going to ask her to talk to us about that in just a little bit. Another point of obedience was four years ago. Again, Linda came to me as we met together. She's a nurse. She had been an administrator for a hospice company. Lots of stress, managing a big staff, dealing with emergencies. And as she lost that job and began looking for another job in that field, she said, I really think the Lord is calling me to just step back from that. And so we talked and we prayed and asked the question, is that really you, Jesus? Is that what you're saying? And she became confident that it was. And so she ended up starting a little cleaning business. And that's what she does now. The hard decision, it involved taking a huge pay cut. But she just said, I think it's what the Lord wants me to do. I want to be able to give myself more toward ministry outside that, that corporate environment. 
thing I loved is that she had developed a kind of intimacy with the Lord where when the Lord spoke to her about something like that, she heard and she was willing to make that decision to follow him. One more key thing happened in March of this year when we had the, uh, the January prayer and fasting emphasis that Alex referred to earlier last year. Several ladies came to me and talked to me about needing to be discipled. And so I said to Linda, you know what, I think maybe the Lord is challenging you to be that person to disciple those four ladies. I think it's time to hand the baton off to you for you to do that. You just do the same thing that you've seen me do as I've invested in you. And so, since March, she's been doing that. And the expectation for each of those ladies is that they will, at some point in the future, invest in others, just like Linda is investing in her. Linda is a great inspiration to me, and I think to many of you. Um, She is making a big difference in the lives of many people. And I am incredibly proud of her. So I want to ask her to come and talk with us. Would you come up, Linda? Thanks, Chris. So... Before we get into any any other things, I know that uh, many of you know that recently Linda's been diagnosed with cancer. We prayed for her and anointed her just a few weeks ago. So before we get into anything else, give us the latest on that, would you? Um, I really don't have any more news. I'm going through a lot of tests. Um, The big one, hopefully we'll hear the first of the week, had a PET scan, and that's to determine if it's any place else in the body, which will determine you know, what kind of treatment. So just waiting for that. Okay. Well, you know, we're praying for you in that. I do. I I can't even tell you how much it's meant to me, all the prayers, the support, and the love that's come from this church. Just thank you. Yeah. So tell us about Christmas Eve. Okay, I'll do that. But first I want to ask something of... Everybody in the congregation, and I mean everybody, whether it's children, pastors, just members of the congregation, all of my brothers and sisters, please, if you had anything at all to do with the Christmas program, any contribution, whether it was money, gift cards, uh, time, donation of food, uh, adopting a family, Uh, whether you were there before Christmas helping us with the decorations and all the other stuff, or you were there Christmas Eve, please, please stand up. Everybody, please stand up. Come on. I know we, we have some people who are missing today, but I want everybody to just look around at all of the people who are standing. Thank you. Let's... It's hard to describe 
what this feels like seeing all of this to have gone from year one and, and God bless those three or four people that volunteered and you know our 15 people from the families who came but to see what God has done in that five-year period not only expanding the families because at our last count um, we probably had somewhere around 115 uh, with the families and there may have been more because people kind of brought in extra relatives that uh, we didn't know were coming but guys last count we had there that night and that doesn't include all the people that contributed and weren't able to attend 64 volunteers if that's not amazing an amazing example of God's love I don't know what is and and I've heard from quite a few of the families whether it was phone calls text messages they were overwhelmed that, that people could just love them that much and it was more than just the gifts I heard lots of comments you know all of our volunteers were um, either they asked to be assigned to specific tables with specific families or um, they were assigned to them and it was a beautiful thing for them how can people love us this much well my friends that's the love of Jesus and there are no words no words to thank you enough good so tell us about tell us about your walk with Jesus these days well, it's, uh, it's a journey still in progress. We're not all the way there. Um, but yeah, I've done a lot of praying, done a lot of thinking, and uh, I think the biggest thing that's coming out of it for me right now, number one, um, as Dale mentioned, you know, I grew up a lot of my life not really believing that anybody could love me at all. But the love that is poured out from this church um, in the prayers, um, the conversations we've had, the emails, the texts. My gosh, if that's not love, I don't know what is. And uh, so God will use situations like this to teach us, give us messages. And that, that was one of the things that he has shown me is how powerful his love is and that he reaches us through other people. And that, that's all, all of you guys. Um, the other thing is, there's kind of two sides to this. There's that human side, and there's that spiritual side. You know, we're all human. I'm human. So we're going to have our moments when we may have some anxiety or um, maybe uh, a little sadness, um, a little grief. But you know... Most importantly, I think, is that spiritual side of us. And this is, this is a time to really get to know how strong is our faith and our trust in the Lord. Do we really? We say it. We say, I, I trust you, Lord. I know you've got this, but do we really? And yes, we should. And I, I think that's been huge for me. And um, something you shared with me a long, long time ago was, you know, it is possible during, during the most adverse situations, the most sorrowful situations, to find joy 
And it's because that joy is of the, of the Lord, not of this world. And that's kind of what he's been showing me through this. Yeah, do I have my moments? Sure I do. But uh, the strength, the strength in, is in the Lord and from the Lord. Cool. So um, talk to folks quickly about just your disciple-making venture and, uh, and just how much fulfillment that brings for you to feel like you're uh, reproducing Jesus in others? Well, you said some nice things, you know, about me, and thank you. And, and there, there was a time in my life when wonderful people would say, oh, my gosh, you're such a blessing to me, or similar things. And I would say, oh, my gosh, no, 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 no. Don't dare say that to me. Now, that's arrogance. And no, no, don't say that. I was terribly uncomfortable. And then as the Lord has had to do to me, who's kind of hard-headed sometimes, he had to slap me upside the head and say, Linda, it's not you that they're talking about. It's me they're talking about. It's me who resides within you. And I think because of that, I think prior to that, I, w I was a little more uncomfortable stepping out there and just doing, um, because I, I was afraid, you know, that I, w I was going to be pompous and arrogant and so on and until that point in time. So, you know, what? I, I guess I had a scare about five years ago. And maybe this is, will explain to you how I feel right now. Um, I, I was a recipient of God's miracle when we thought I had multiple tumors all over my body and won't go into the whole story of how they figured it out, but through all of the testing, I went to a, a doctor's office who was going to give me the uh, results, and I'd never met the man before, and he said, he got tears in his eyes, and he said, I can't, I can't tell you this, I have to show you this, so he took me, showed me the series of films, and what looked like definitely were tumors in, in several areas of my body were fluid-filled cysts, and, and that doctor said that day, that's nothing short of a miracle. But what had happened during that time, that, that whole week waiting for those results, I really didn't feel any fear. I, I, I just felt the strength of God's love, and my prayer then is the same now. Lord, I don't know how much time I have left. might be a day, might be weeks, might be months, it might be years. All I ask of you is use me. Use me. You have blessed this broken down person by choosing to be able to, to, to use me, even if it's to reach one person. And man, if, if I can just pour out my heart to you and, and just pray for you, is that that will be the same feeling that you have. You know, if we end our life on this earth and we've made a difference in one life, it's worth it. It's worth it. Good. Well, thank you, Linda. Appreciate it. That's great.
going to respond today by taking communion. It's a great way. God's love is extravagant in our lives. And so this is an opportunity for us to celebrate his grace that he offered his life as a sacrifice for us that we could be forgiven, that we could be reconciled, and that we can be called to fulfill his purposes for us. So ushers, if you would come, we're going to serve. And uh, I would just say to you that this is an open communion. You don't have to be a member of this church or regular attendee to take communion. You do need to be a follower of Jesus. And maybe there's somebody here that would say, you know, I, I hear this personal relationship with Jesus talked about, and I'm not sure I have that. I'm not sure I have what Linda has. And I would just say, if that's you today, that can change. Your part is just to repent, to embrace God's gift through Jesus. Choose no longer to ignore him, but to follow him. And this maybe could be your first experience of taking communion as a Christ follower. So if that's where you are today, I would challenge you to make that decision. Just ask that you hold the elements and we'll all take them together.